everybody to another episode of the Monitor Keeping Podcast. I'm here with Kai and another guest today. Uh, we're going to get into some more fun stuff. I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. And again, we're brought to you by the Morelia Python Radio Network. So if you're wondering who that is, type in Morelia Python and it will probably fill in the rest for you on any search engine. They've been around for a while and there's a lot of good content there. Uh, go check out their website at moreliapythonradio.net. Or is it network.net? I think both will get you there, actually. Um, but either way, again, search them out. Check it out. There's, got, there's mm, I want to say, over 10 podcasts now. I'd have to go through and like identify each one, or at least there will be very soon. So whatever you're into, uh, they probably got it covered. Uh, they also got their store there and a Patreon. So if you want to help support them, help support the different guests, get some cool merchandise, uh, check them out. All right, Kai, how are you? And not too bad, man. Uh, you know, just busy um, with all the animals and grasshopper stuff. Uh, man, what about you? It's been busy. I've been trying to catch up, and I've got, you know, nothing done that I wanted to get done. A um, couple cool things have happened. We'll probably get into, you know, just here and there. I'm surprised that anything's doing anything sometimes because, you know, I'm always, like, trying to play catch up. And, um yeah, yeah. But, yeah, got some things in the incubator, uh, some others that are looking gravid, some other ones are giving me problems. Just the normal game of the monitor world, so to speak. So Yeah. It's uh kind of always a, a revolving door of stuff to do. <laughs> um yeah, t- today uh today we have on uh, a guest and a friend of mine for I guess a good, good couple of years now on through the through the groups and stuff like that. Um we have uh Rob Fox on today. Um hey how's how's it going man? Hey uh, Rob. Going good. <laughs> how are you guys? Yeah, not too bad. Um yeah, we got Rob on today to uh, basically kind of go over what his experience has been with uh, some of his monitors, uh, mostly to kind of outline some of the the Brandis Ruticulus work that he's doing, which is a uh, black roughneck monitor. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of demand, a lot of interest in that species. There's not a lot getting produced out there in the world, or not you know nothing regular. And so um, yeah, Rob's got a few animals, and you know I've seen him uh, basically get get to the next step by taking little baby steps with his animals for the last few years or so. Um, but yeah, man, before I go carry on, uh, Rob, uh, tell us uh, how, what got you into monitors a little bit or a little bit of your background and then we can get into the Rudy's. Uh, what got me into monitors in general was uh Sulawesi water monitors. Uh, that locale specifically about seven years ago. I saw one on Fauna Classified it was known as a Sulawesi speckled water monitor. They were calling them an orange spotted monitors at the time. Sometimes they called them. And I had never, <laughs> I heard, them, never heard of them before. You know, I had seen quote unquote yeah. Sumatran water monitors. I had seen all kinds of stuff. And people claim these monitors only got four feet. I bought yeah. Them. The dwarf water monitor, right? Yes. The dwarf <laughs> water monitor. And the locality I got is now called Togianis, but it's uh, not the locality that you'll find on the Federal Reserve. It's a more southern locality on the main island. Uh, They're a little darker, sometimes get about five foot, give or take. 
I learned that four foot rumor was a mistake. That like I said, got a solid five foot. <laughs> and that, then Alex's sim hat showed me what was at that time called Pinrang Celebensis, which had these huge ocelli that I later found out came from this, this place called Sidrap. That's uh, a shortened version name for it. But basically those got me into monitors. And basically a few years later, someone showed me Rudy Colas. Yeah. They, were, they looked like a black dragon at the time. I was told they didn't have any colors. They were dark. They were mean. But somehow everyone said they were they were mean somehow, but friendly. Everyone told me they were going to tear me up, but they were somehow always handled. Made no Interesting. Sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're not too known for biting. That's what I've uh, that's uh, what I've experienced with them. Yeah, that's a lie. Once they're established, they come out of their shells pretty hard. Oh man! And uh, Guy Marsters always talks about the PTSD he thinks that they go through when they first come in, essentially. And as crazy as that guy is, he is correct about that. They freeze for almost the first six months you have them. Yeah. They don't move. You can pick them up. You can push them around. They won't move. You think they're perfect. As soon as their tongue starts flicking, they change. It's over. Oh, my God. <laughs> diving down. You got to worry about them hitting their heads or too hard because, man, they will just dive into a hole from the top of their head. And everyone told me they were a tree monitor. They don't, they're not a tree monitor. It, it was all over the place, the information I was getting about them. And it seemed like every time I listened to somebody else about what they thought they were going to, was going to work, I was further from the truth. Yeah. Kind of funny how that works out, huh? <laughs> Eight by four by four every time. Let me tell you. Yeah. And, yeah, so they, I was told, oh, set them up like a green tree monitor. You're going to do great. You, you've kept those before. Man, nope. yeah, they, they do like to climb. But one of the biggest differences between them and a truly arboreal monitor, percentage and the like will go up when they're afraid. If you give them the opportunity, they, they tend to run up a tree. Yeah. Rudy Colas tend to have a predetermined burrow if you give them the opportunity where they will dive down. They do not go up. If okay. they're running away from you, they're going down. Okay. I have no animals that tend to shoot up in the way that Salvadori, Persinus, or even Spinulosis do. Yeah, they say that any monitors that have really big proboscis are, are major on the burrowing stuff. Um, and they do. So that's, yeah. It's funny, though, when the, uh, my Dorianus have gotten out a few times, uh, different things, they always go up. And, uh, and it's funny how you, you talk about different monitors look for different things. You know, basically all the Australian stuff is pretty much down. I'm going to find it on the lower level. And then, uh, I haven't had tree monitors get out really yet. So I haven't had that experience. Um, what's the other one I'm thinking of? Um, the Timors and Peacocks find the tightest spot they can fit. And that's where they will be. If it's impossible to get to them, that's where they will be. So if it's cool. yeah, right now, the truth is I got two peacocks that got out on me and they are still, I still don't know how to get them out. They are between a cinder block wall and a stud that rests up against that cinder block wall. And other than tearing down built in cages, I'm not sure how to get them out yet. So I got a, I got a cable camera down there. I can see them and I might just 
wait till they get hungry enough to come back out or something. I've tried to stick a little noose down there. <laughs> yeah, no noose. Go for it. Bastards. Yeah. I would totally hammer the wall. I'm almost there. I'm almost to the point of drilling through the cinder block again. But in order to do that, I have to use this special bit, and then I'm afraid of hurting them. Um, yeah, it's fun. That's all I can say about that. Walking a hard place. Good luck. Yeah, it is. It is. So I'll figure something out, and then I'll I'll post about it or something. I'll tell everybody how it went. But those yeah. little bastards. <laughs> so, so that current the the current clutch you just got. How many how many good Rudicola eggs do you think are in there? Um, I'm honestly only counting on one of them. Um, that nesting job, unfortunately, we think the nest itself was as far as the, the cypress temperature and all that. We think that was proper, but where the cage placement in the room is, the external nest that she, we wanted her to nest in was underneath the heater in that room. And it was causing the air temperature to be like 90 to 100 degrees when the soil temp would be about 82 to 84. And so she'd go in there and she'd be in there for maybe like 45 minutes, an hour, and then exit almost immediately. And then we'd notice she'd go into that cork log where she ultimately laid the eggs and it almost seemed like a second choice, you'd call it. If, if you're watching on the camera, and I swear, I am the definition of too much information usually. I have all my cameras up that I'm watching every minute that I'm not parenting or working, doing something else. Do you uh, mm-hmm. do you have a that – I guess you know we're trying to just bounce ideas off, right? So all of my mangroves and stuff like that prefer to lay how you just set yours up. Um, although they prefer different, like they prefer sandy soil. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? But, uh, they, they, they won't lay in anything like chippy or, or, or big chunks of stuff. Cause they just can't find uh, a good burrow in that. Right. So, but they always lay in some type of log. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, if it doesn't have a, if it doesn't have a hole that they can fit through, I'll drill one. A lot of times they come with the knuckle and I'll just pop the knuckle out, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's right. I cut the one knuckle off of mine that I just got yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. And then um yeah, man, if you can do you have you know that external one that you said you have? Yeah. Do you, you still have that as an option, right? Yeah, that was still an option the entire time. Do you it's, have a log in that one? Yes, there's multiple cork logs in that actually. Okay. That nest is four foot by uh two foot by two foot. It is actually a pretty large nest. It's almost similar to what I use for a full grown Salvatore in some cases. Mm-hmm. And so we had originally tried sand soil mixes with Rudy Colas and I had never had a clutch. I had five in a row dropped outside the nest at that point. I leave for Florida with a possibly gravid female about a year ago, Rudy Colas. I didn't have any soil left. So I had to stuff this nest with cypress mulch. I stuffed it as tight as I could. Well, I come home to a beautifully and my only to this day nested clutch of Rudy Colas eggs. Those are the ones I was talking to you earlier about where those ones lasted 90 days and had, I'd not had incubation issues where they got soaked with condensation. I don't know what the heck caused the temperature fluctuation like that, but they just got soaked and I drowned my eggs. Yeah. Well, ever since then I swore I knew I went back to sand soil like you were talking about until recently. They never nested for me, no matter how heated I did them no matter how much I buried in them. And so they never even, they barely tested them. They'd usually dig one hole and be done with them. Well, I changed to the Cypress cocoa mix and the female that I was talking about this last time, 
she was dying to nest this nest, it seemed like. She was going in there every day for, like I said, about 45 to an hour, in, out, in, out, in, out, and I had done something wrong. And I didn't really realize it until I started th- putting a thermostat in the airspace instead of just the internal uh, thermostat under the soil. And I realized the air temp was 20 degrees higher, basically. Yeah. Now, I will say I have that Borneo pair. I haven't seen them breed, but that female has been in the nest all day. So we're hoping with that sag we saw the other day might give us some eggs. Good stuff. Now, this um, have you used the Cypress cocoa mix on anything else? Uh, I've never done the Cypress cocoa mix for any other species. I was going to try it with Salvadori because they didn't seem to like the dirt mixes I was using either. But then my female had uh, two prolapses in a row. Oh. <clears throat> so ultimately I traded the male and the female I gave away to a good home. I, I, decided, I said, promise me you won't pair anymore. You're a gentleman named Neil. He, I promised him, I was like, tell me you won't breed her. Tell me you won't try to do anything with her. You know, she just more or less needs a good home. And so he, he took her in and that's that eight by eight that I was talking about earlier that I'm converting for the sulfur water monitor. Gotcha. But that was so the only this is- I ever had to try that with. The sand mix usually like Kai was talking about for Salvatore, maybe yeah. a little bit of cypress mixed in. But usually that was always a filler. It was the soil they always nested in. Yeah. I'm always experimenting a little bit different. That's why I ask, you know, just what works for this species or that species and um, continually updating a mix. You know, I'll just, yeah, (laughs) here's a bag of this. I'll throw that in and see what happens. (laughs) Well, I'm throwing all caution to the wind right now. I'm leaving the external nest the way it is, the cocoa cypress mix. Uh-huh. I moved the cage so, like I said, I don't have to worry about that heater anymore. And then I'm building a three by two by two internal nest with topsoil sand mix, like the one Kai was talking about. Yeah, where that where that cork tube is that she laid in. Okay. So she can have a choice. I don't care where she lays. I have enough cameras. I'll know where it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just need um, to do it. Mine's got like a bunch of. Um the spines from the oak leaves um, and then um, a lot of sand and leaves all decomposing together. That's what most of mine is. It's, it's no longer a ton of soil anymore. There's this bag called sunshine. It's peat moss. It's mm-hmm. got a lot of, it's got a lot of twigs in it. Um, and then I, I have the stuff from the broken down leaf litter as well. Uh, <clears throat> for the most part, that's been, that's been what works the best for me so far is um, just that that it's got to be fine. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It just can't be chunky. I try to use like cocoa chips and sand. Um, let's see here. I guess like they don't really like to use really fresh eco earth either. It's got to be sitting there for a while, broken down. Yeah, yeah. My, my guys are they're maybe they're it's because they're mostly island monitors or something like that, and they are you know they like it uh, a bit. I would say just fine, like how the sand is on at the beach and the islands. Yeah, um, yeah. They their their natural habitat is like a sand soot. It's not really dirt, you know. That's yep. what that's what their natural habitat is like. <clears throat> uh, yeah, they wouldn't have topsoil like here in Ohio. It would not be the same. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, it's like uh, the topsoil. I just, I just don't find it that appealing anymore. I remember when we were, you know, first starting out, topsoil was the most recommended stuff. It was cheap, right? Two dollars a bag. Yeah, it was that that white and red bag from Home Depot or whatever. Yep. Um, and uh, you know that stuff. It's, they call they call it filled dirt for a reason. You know, it's kind of just garbage dirt. It's I hate it because it had like a bunch of t- stone little stones in it. Yeah, um, it it have some fabric from from the yeah. bags that were being torn around. Yeah, have See, you ever tried the same reason white bag from Ace? No, it's fifty uh, sand to, uh, peat moss mix. Oh, okay. And that's what I was using for the longest time for my nest boxes for uh, the the bivitata stuff that I was working with in the past. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm using right now for the uh, celebensis pairs that I'm working with. Where we See, that would be more in line with what I'm using now. And then I usually throw an extra bag of sand in, kind of like Kai was talking about, to kind of dense it up a little bit. Yeah. Mix it up. Yeah, my sand ratio now is, is crazy. Like before, I was using more soil than sand. So let's say if I were to saturate the heck out of it, it'd become mud, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that sucked. So then I'd have to re- basically replace the whole thing. Um, but now it's almost 90% sand. And then I have like broken leaf litter in there and the twigs and then some soil. I kind of just add it to change the color a little bit and it almost holds a little bit better with the soil. But um, if I were to just have sand and moisture and enough saturation in it, like if I were to grab it, but it wouldn't wring out water, yeah. um, that like, yeah, that's, that's what I've, uh, that's what I've been using for the Kimberly's so far. They have mostly sand um, in, in, in all their stuff now. So it's a little bit different. Before I was doing way more soil, um, and it become so muddy at the bottom of the nest bin sometimes after a mm-hmm. while. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it does it does dry out real fast, the sand. Right. So um, that's, well, the, that's the only thing I got to keep up with. So it's like if you're not paying attention to it and you're not checking it every – I'd say every couple of weeks or like saturating the, sh- the heck out of it on top of it. Right. Just to, just to keep that, you know, keep that momentum going without it losing too much, uh, too much moisture over the time frame of a couple of weeks or whatever, man. And the heat source that's hitting against it is also going to be drying it out too. So what I got to do almost every few weeks I, I do, cause I have a lot of females going in and out of cycling or, breeding and and or you know i think they're gravid or whatever right um and so i I check all the time and so i have to redo the nest that's why i've been i've been so anal about my nest bins lately have you thrilled much more sand spins at all huh have you drilled any holes no i've uh i haven't even though that's that's that sounds like a good idea but i haven't only because i've I've ex- almost exclusively left nest bins. See, I, I I have a couple rolling cages, but that's a good idea. That's a good idea, though. I didn't. I didn't think about well, because I saturate mine once a week, and I always had a problem. Actually, excess moisture was my problem because I was overdoing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and once a week I have is a, lot a little of, bit. Money. And I have a lot of cages that may not be fully bioactive, but kind of like you were talking about on the one uh, post, the soil is super deep, has a bunch of isopods in it only really needs replaced once every like six months fully 
or turned over and checked. <clears throat> and with those kind of cages, usually my nests, I have dug into the soil so they can't get under them in any way. And I'll drill the holes about a quarter inch off the bottom of that bin so that I can saturate those bins once a week. You don't get any stagnant water. You won't get any funny smells. And then, like you said, you don't have to worry about drying or over moistening them because every week you can just drench them. And usually it holds pretty well. Mm-hmm. You have to refill my bins probably more often than you do because I will lose a little bit of like sand or soil, but not negligible amounts. I mean, negligible. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's not a bad up, idea. It'll block up in time and then there's just water coming out. Well, as I say, the oh, coastal slow, slow. that I use, I mean, they, they still drain. They're very airy. They drain very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing the whole turning the dirt by hand in the nest box thing still for the uh, smaller guys. Yeah, um, I, do that. I do that like every every few weeks as well. Yeah, that's my that's my workout. My wife's always telling me, oh, you know, it's time to start getting back in the gym. And I'm like, ah, I don't have time for that, but I'll, I'll hustle when I'm over there dealing with the monitors. <laughs> my, finger, my fingernails are like super black all the time. Yeah, right. even, today, even today, yeah. man. Like fully full of sand and soil, like I just don't even shower. But you don't realize I shower every day. Yeah. It looks it just looks really bad. Because today I went through nesting for a female because some humidity issues in her cage. I think, yeah, it's just just real sucky. Oh man. Yeah, I've got yeah, one of those little sticks you were talking about right up the fingernail before digging through those. Just, yeah, you know, I can look down and actually see it through the fingernail. <laughs> yeah. I got to get like, um, I got to get what you call it, um, gloves. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. I, I'm all out of it. Bad idea, you'll pierce an egg. Black gloves. <laughs> <laughs> when you're digging for eggs, yeah, you need that feel. You, yeah. yeah, I swear, I have personally yeah. broken an egg before using gloves. You don't feel the soil, you can't feel what's in your way. It all feels like you're in. The, it's in the way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we are doomed. Yeah. You have to go barehanded for the rest of your life. I'm sorry. <laughs> Truth be not, told, not I, uh, I just got to clutch some, some eggs. What was that? I said the one time I was using my gloves and I was trying to pull oh. a jogging clutch at the time. And I literally stuck my finger through an egg. Because I was just digging down into the soil, and usually I can reach oh, right. in nonchalantly, and I can feel everything. You feel any resistance, you stop. I didn't feel any resistance. It right. felt like caused resistance, so you had to push real hard with the glove on, and I drove right through it. It's miserable. See, for me, I think I was digging with gloves on, and I uh, I didn't feel an egg, and I rolled it uh, when it came. So when I was putting dirt like back, I see another egg, and I'm like, oh crap. You know, totally missed that one. So, um, I, that was my fault and it was because of the same thing. So yeah, I think we're doomed just to go barehanded in there and, uh, or I don't know. I kind of got a system with the, with the nest bins, especially it's like, I dig up the first layer. I got this, this perfectly sized like dust pan that I dig dirt into and put into a bucket. And then I rough up kind of the next section of dirt and I know I can safely move it into there, like scoop it in a little bit yeah. at a time with the feel of my hand. This is a whole little process, but yeah, it's, it's usually pretty safe. And uh, this cage was a uh, whole, whole cage nesting. So maybe I put the gloves on cause I knew I'd be digging a little more and I didn't even know where to start. 
And so almost like where I picked was where they were. And I'm like, yeah, I see some eggs. I didn't realize I had already rolled one getting into there. Ugh, stupid move, but it happens. It's probably not the last time I'm going to do that one either. I was going to say, I'm, wait, I'm waiting to drop one. I've heard a lot of guys say they've dropped an egg. I personally have not dropped an egg yet. <laughs> I haven't dropped one, no. I did have my son one time kick a, uh, there was a, I told him, be careful. So I'm taking these eggs out and putting them into a sim container that's on the floor. And he's excited. I want him there doing it with me. But of course, as I think he was six at the time, as a six-year-old will, he gets distracted. He turns around and then he starts like shuffling backwards and totally kicks the sim container. All the eggs are rolling. Ah, you know, <laughs> but they were all right. They made it all right. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry. You know, the look on my face must have just been hor horrific. But <laughs> your child debated what you valued more at that moment. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's not going anywhere. Oh, no, I, I understand. <laughs> he made yeah, it through. So <laughs> he survived. I have, freaking, I have, I have everybody's babies here from not shipping over the holidays and the the the. The bad weather, man. Oh, yeah. Everybody's like, everybody's waiting for their stuff. And I'm just, I'm just pretty terrified by all the delays lately, even though I know people are still shipping. <clears throat> I'm personally not for at least these, animals, these monitors. Yeah. At least another, I, uh, another couple weeks. I've shipped over the last few weeks. Unfortunately, I've had no problems. So it's, it's been pretty good for me. I've uh, shipped to, a couple to Florida. Of course, Southern California well, is no big deal. And well, to then, Florida is like rarely ever a big deal, right? Right. But, but if I was shipping somewhere else like um, North Dakota, you know, it might be a little. <laughs> Wisconsin or something. Right, right. Yeah. Or Ohio, like me. Yeah, everybody that everybody yeah. is in the East Coast and it's like, you know, Northeast sort of and it's kind of chilly or really chilly. Yeah. Um, yeah, the weather is actually really finicky. Like goes down from you know being sixties and back down to twenties and thirties. And like, wow, that was today. All right, it there goes that opportunity. <clears throat> yeah, man. So it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of waiting and stuff like that. Oh man, um, we got off topic a little bit, didn't we? <laughs> back to Rudicolis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Unless you guys had something else to add, I, I was just like, "Where did we start with this conversation? How did we get on shipping?" Uh, yeah, yeah. But, um, I get. Yeah, going back to Rudy Colas. How how long have you had your your breeders? Okay, so I ha I originally had a group of breeders that I started almost six years ago. Um, I had a freeze at my place four years ago. Uh, during my, I had a divorce. Uh, there was some. We're called gray area things where people had their names in the they people's names were in the power. So when they turned off the power, my animals froze. Ah, yeah. 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 And unfortunately it happened on a Friday. So I had to had basically until Monday to get it turned on and had to move a lot of animals. It just didn't work out. Uh lost something like a hundred thousand oh, dollars. I lost like a hundred thousand dollars worth of animals at that time in twenty seventeen. Lost these Sambala breeders, the Rudy Cola, everything. I only thing that survived was my Nile and my Trig came in, the one female that I have. And then the Nile monitor. Man. Um, 
So everything you see now has come since 2017, around November. I got my female Athena that's due to lay here in the next two weeks, give or take. I got her as a hatchling. She's the really social one that I post all the time. A lot of people see videos of me like picking her up and petting her and introducing her to people. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> she was what kind of got me back into Ruby Colas, and I kind of had a newfound drive to get him back because I wanted to get my old collection back in time. And so I got Rudy Colas immediately. I got a bunch of Salvatore immediately. And I started noticing things with Rudy Colas that I didn't notice the first time. The first time I was listening to all the talk that we were talking about where they're tree monitors. They're these, they're that. They don't need deep substrate. They need trees. They need climbing, six foot tall, all that kind of crap. It's, <laughs> it couldn't be farther from the truth because I can tell you right yeah. now they don't need a cage any higher than four foot high. Uh, anything more than that, I'm sure they appreciate, but I typically think even in the wild, they stay about the first 15 feet of trees and down because I think they like to escape to where it's safe into a hole that they have under a tree, essentially, or a rotten log. They're going down. And this is something that, uh, me and guy talk about a lot. Uh, me and Dan Rowe occasionally talk about a lot. They don't seem like they dig their holes in just, we talk about the sandy soil mixes. They always mm-hmm. seem to went where these leaves were, where my bark was, where the chunks are, that we were just talking about the mangroves avoid. They go for those real dense, thick areas, and they create these real tight chambers. And I think that's one of the reasons that they have that telltale neck of theirs. If you've ever seen one in cork bark on a camera, it is almost impossible to tell them from the cork. Hmm. And if you try to remove it from that, forget it. You're not doing it without cutting your cork bark in half. Yeah. You can lodge yeah. themselves with that. It's damn near impossible. Yeah. Pick pick your cork perfectly, guys, for uh for the listeners out there. Um it might be the coolest piece of cork bark, but if you have a lizard that can wedge in there perfectly, unless that's what you want, you might not ever get your lizard out. Just saying. Yeah. They, they, <laughs> Well, they will live in that. If you don't give them cork bark, they will find something similar to that. Um, Yeah, I always tell people that they're always on the side of my fake log that I call. It's a trash can style nest in all the cages. Yeah. And it's between the wall and that trash can. And there's some heating devices in there as well. And they trap themselves there. If I go into the cages right now, probably all my females are right there. The only ones who won't be there are my males. Males, I think, are much more active than the females. Females do not need yeah. the same size caging. They don't tend to be as active. I've even had pairs where the male broke out of the cage, like slid the glass because I forgot to lock it. The female was basking when I walked in the room, had never left her cage, had no desire <laughs> to leave. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed uh, different things for different different species, but there are some that it seems like, and individuals, like uh, I have a few females I mean, the truth is they could probably survive in half the cage that I give them and be totally fine based on their habits. And I have some males that are similar. And then I have ones that are just totally like throw everything off. You know, they're I got to go looking for them because they're somewhere new every time I look for them, like uh, tucked up under the lip of the door on the top, like uh, on a surface. They shouldn't even be able to climb. And I'm (laughs) how did you get up there? Um, That's common. So, yeah, just. <clears throat> but that and that's the problem I have with 
with when people would say eight by four by four, you heard me make fun of earlier. Mm-hmm. I don't believe Rudy Cole is established well in a cage that big. Unless you are decorating that cage so densely right. that it can lock itself into the perfect thermal gradient, they, are n- they aren't going to acclimate as well. I've never had a female cycle in a cage bigger than a five foot long. Believe it or not, I do four by four by fours for my breeding females. It's a straight up box. And I put in, I talk about that four by two by two external nest that connects to that cage. So it does give them probably about six foot of floor space if you add that in. And the females, those new Borneos that I just got 60 days ago, laid a clutch when they first came in. And they're the first animals that I've started in these cages as a test, you know. They're cycling again. I said they saw them breeding. We don't know which lock took. So we're just kind of following the nesting right now. Yeah. But she has, in that time frame, cycled again. She has started feeding better. She's put on real weight. And then the one that we tested out in the Celebensa style 8x4, it had half the weight. We had to transfer it into a smaller cage where it seemed more comfortable. Yeah. And I'm about to do – oh, go ahead. I'll, finish, I'll add to this when you're done. And a lot of people, they gawk at the idea that it's 140-degree basking in this little box. They adore 140-degree basking. They use it every day. And they don't like anything under 78 degrees typically in my cages. I've never seen any of my animals in anything under 78. Interesting. See, I, I've never they're kept them, but yeah, but they always fascinate me. They're one of those that are always in the back of my head. But you, you're right. I, because I don't keep them and they're not, um, I would say, one of the common species, you don't hear a lot of information on them. Um, at least reliable information that you could always turn to and be like, okay, here's a good, like with Aki's, of course, is the easiest one. Here's a base. You go, you know, you can start off with this certain parameters and go, you know, in this direction or this direction, you're probably going to be fine. For some species like uh, Rudy's, you know, there's not a whole lot out there as far as a good base source of information. And I get a little skeptical too, because yeah, maybe I shouldn't say that. No, okay, we'll say that. Um, if, if you have kept them alive, but you haven't bred them and you're not in that path of going towards breeding, you're not having some kind of reproductive events, then to me, there's something obviously missing. If you're starting to, yeah, if you're starting to see those reproductive events happen, then you're, you're at least dabbling in the right direction, whatever that is, or part of the right direction. And so that's what I want to chase after. It's like, um, we can still keep Savannah's alive for 10, 20 years on a hundred and, you know, five degree hotspot, but it's not good for them. You yeah. know, um, it's not achieving what they need to as a monitor. It's almost just keeping them in that. Um, I don't know. Or like more that, so of just being able to like come continually repeat life cycles. Right. Yes. And um, Basically, you know, like, so I have a, I've killed some females in my time. So I've killed a flabby cross in 2011 and then a couple years ago, I basically killed a, a, a big – one of my big breeder female mangroves, um, you know, and just basically through uh, poorly supporting them through the reproductive events, right? Yeah. Um, and so now I have – My know, biggest fear. Yeah, I have uh, I have an 8-year-old now, um, and I kind of just went through a scare with her where she just kind of bloated up really big and then kind of uh, just kept on regurgitating a bit. Nice. Um and it was like a couple weeks 
even though I didn't feed a lot, like every day trying to feed her, but every single time I did feed her, which was maybe three or four times in the couple weeks time frame, um, she regurged each of those times. I'd have to really say that it was probably due to my my basking lamp or something like that not being so intense for her because I just used a single, like a single forty five watt, right? Um, yeah. And um, then I just changed it up to a heavier flood. So sometimes I use the BR30s, which I call them chameleon bulbs because that's what the chameleon people recommend. They're basically a, a floodlight, but it's super, super light and soft. It's what Chris Chris Murray uses, John uses, that they're really close to his monitors. They're only inches away from their basking area, right? Yeah. Those are those, are those bulbs. Um, and they're basically, uh, you know, when they're by themselves, they're not that great, honestly, just because they don't intensify the basking area too much and you got to get really really close right and so at best you're kind of just getting a uh a warm heat up you know Maybe yeah but not not like how a floodlight or a halogen would do it you know right and so um yeah i guess that's why she she was regurgitating and then she kept on um just sitting there right not really not like lethargic in it like closing her eyes but she was just sitting there not not really charging food when i'd offer it or whatever so um yeah man i <clears throat> sucks to have these scares i had an eight-year-old now that's just uh you know still going basically still still laying she had a great year this last year um i'm not really gonna be like all of a sudden just giving her uh like a like a break for the year or something like that. Cause I don't think, don't think that'll even work, you know? Um, it, but it doesn't work. I'm, waiting, I'm waiting for her to <laughs> lay again in the next, the next few months, I guess, if, you know, if all goes well, I haven't really been feeding her that much because she basically laid, I think six or seven clutches in this last year, like every 40 to 60 days late you know what i mean that was our that was our female just laid that she's 12 years old and did the same thing yeah yeah and so man uh i hate uh you know i'd hate to just like not ever work with her again or or you know um try to stop her from breeding to keep her life going i just want to do it much more carefully you know um that's the that's the tough part because the kind of got to live with the male somewhat and so i have to either have them separate for the time being or or put them together and when they're together there's likely the chances that they'll breed so i gotta feed them very little so they don't they don't breed so much but you know that's a double sword because you know you've had females still lay sometimes if you give them yeah with with just the little bit of food too yeah yeah you don't pair them with a male and fertiles are rougher on females yeah yeah, I mean that's a, yeah, it, a double-edged sword. It is. It's hard to get that right, like figuring out that animal specifically. And that much, might be yeah. some of it is that individual animal. You might know, like I have a um, a female I can think of where she is always huge. Now I've gotten to know, like at certain times when she looks a certain way. Okay, now she's going through a reproductive event, or other times it's like ah, I need to treat her a certain way. And basically neglect her for half a year. And, you know, it's since I started doing that with her, um, now I can I can get kind of into a rhythm with her. 
but everything else, not everything, but a, a lot of other things, it's like, I'm just feeding same species. I can just go ahead and feed after they lay and they're right back in their own cycle with her individually. If I do that, she gets like that super big bloated and we'll just yeah. stay like that for half a year and be yeah. lethargic. And it, you know, so I got a Kimberly that's the same way. I basically have to bring her down. So it's like sad skinny, you know? Yeah. Like, that, that's uh, my, that's Athena, the nice, really cool. Same thing. You're, yeah. you're so skinny that I have to, I'm scared that you're going, you know, you're basically you know, two notches from being anorexic, you know, just skinny enough, but not losing all the muscle tone. So if you guys are listening, you know, uh, when you're looking at monitors in the wild, they're so lean. And when you mm-hmm. look at their tail base and their arms and shoulders, they're so fit. You know, that's that's the kind of look that you want to achieve with uh, with keeping them lean and fit. And so it's tough, man. I, 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 I got to actually my game plan for this female instead of just, you know, ramming more food into her. I'm just going to feed her like seafood stuff and bugs and things like that. So that way she um, she doesn't gain too much weight in the next few months and i'm gonna basically see how that works with uh she already wants to eat man they're they're going crazy today after the little pieces of food that i was giving them yeah and i had i had to swat them away from from each other um she even took food from the mail um <laughs> and, you know, it's like yeah that, that's a really close problem they will fight for food <laughs> yeah. Annoying, yeah the only time i will ever see my males the moment they see food in the female's mouth, I better have something for him. Yeah. yeah. And the perfect tongs or toss over to him, right? To intercept oh, it before he jumps on her. Immediately or else. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, talking about this stuff, though, that as far as feeding, I've kind of gotten into the, the habit that um, um, males, for the most part, I now keep on my roaches just because I'm making my own, so it's easy. I'm not really wasting uh, rodents or pinks on because uh, that's an item, you know, with as many animals as I have or you guys have. That's an, an item I don't breed myself, so I need to order. Um, so those I'm strictly saving now for certain times of the year. After female lays, I'll usually give her some that first week. And then bug wise. No, no, no. I'm talking about um, for as far as rodents. Um oh, okay. I'll give them, and this is for mo- mostly the dwarf monitors, not for the bigger guys. I treat them different from the sand monitors up into that size. Uh, I'm still, honestly, still figuring out what the tree monitors like and don't like, and they're picky bastards. Um, but as far as all the dwarf monitors, the Kims, the Ackies, the Tristus and whatnot, it's um, getting the, the bugs are the staple. Now the rodents um, I'm feeding to get them back recovered after laying the females. And then yeah. at specific times, kind of during the year when it feels right, when I know, okay, they're like coming into spring after heating up a little bit. Okay. Let, let's get them kickstarted with some calories. And uh, I've definitely cut it back from other times where I was almost doing 50, 50, which worked also, but yeah. that it seems like that works for those animals in that first uh, like year and a half. Right. Um, two years maybe. And then now as the, they get older, they get more of that size on them. Um, I'm learning carry okay. that weight over yeah. to, that, to that time. So that's where you see um, where I think 
someone would would get success once, right? Or maybe even twice. But then that next year, nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen this happen a lot with a lot of people. They basically just continually go, right? They're continually feeding. Um, you know, some some species do quite well, but if you notice some species that aren't breeding, eventually they just carry on the weight and then they just look really bloated. Um, and so that's where I think uh, they either need to be bred or something needs to work be worked out with the diet and all that stuff like that, you know? Yeah. With, uh, and, with... No, go ahead. Oh, and I was saying, I don't know, like we're talking a little bit about it, obviously now, Robert, or what you do with some of your bigger monitors, but for like the... Um, the sand monitors, the savannas, um, I am, I, what I've been doing is feeding rodents, but I would feed as necessary to keep them in a, a certain look that I wanted with going a little heavier with the females. Right. Yeah. Especially with the sand monitors kick off that reproductive event and I can almost count on it. It's like, okay, when I pick up feeding, I know she's going to cycle. Um, but I'm not see now the Savannah monitor, she's still younger and just things I'm toying around with for like the Dorianus as they come up um is i'm feeding like appropriately sized um like a a female sand monitor she'll take down four mice no problem right um and it's been like every other day every three days or whatnot just so she looks right and i I see her out like searching for food or she comes to like basically look at me through the window i'm like okay i know she's hungry but um toying around with some ideas of feeding those smaller items but more frequently as far as in, I know she's not full that day. She could take down another, you know, six small mice, but yeah. feed her, you know, four small mice. And then the next day feed her like two small mice and do some kind of rotation where it's like smaller food items and maybe bump it up certain days and just playing with the, the amount of food and kind of seeing where that brings me as far as, um, I guess trying to have more control over their reproductive cycles or getting kickstarted and stuff. Well, really yeah. cool. I noticed specifically, I have to dramatically downsize the sizes of the food during a cycle, especially during the yeah. end. My female BT will go off food for 10 days straight if I don't cut her meals into quarters at that point. Yeah. You know, she will outright refuse. She won't take chicks. She won't take bugs anymore. She will only take chopping rodents at that point. It should give you that pissed off look. Like- very, <laughs> oh, yeah. She'll give you that little tink like head look. And she'll smell. Yeah. She'll smell the chick, turn her uh-huh. head, and I'll do the the cut rodent next. And she'll get all excited for at least one or two bites, and then she'll be like, "Okay, I'm good still." Like half yeah. a mouth for me, Dad. Yeah, I only do like, <laughs> rodents very often. I do majority quails, chicks, and fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sometimes I know my animals; they know the difference, and they all know. My like, male Salvador would never taste chicks. Yeah, they'll they'll pick and choose. Sometimes I'll have a dish with shrimp and mice and chicks all in the same, and she'll pick out all the mice. <laughs> oh, yeah, yep. immediately. They're like kids; you cannot yeah. give them a choice. You got to feed them what is healthy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's you know, that's 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 what's what's uh, got into the hobby a lot lately. Some people just feed and feed and feed, right? I just like see monitors just continually getting so fat right um, dude rudy cools I, I swear all the rudy cools i see yeah. on social media i'm guilty of this with athena i did i think what you were talking about i had a year straight where athena i never quite buttoned down the nesting because i didn't have any males at the time for her 
she laid five clutches in one year. Not one of them nested properly. Put on a ton of weight this last year. Didn't lay one time for the last year now. Yeah, that's where uh, that's where a lot of a uh, lot of people like uh, Dave or or um, uh, Robert Mendike would mention the slowdown or the break period. Right, mm-hmm. just basically keep them from being so hot that they need to burn so many calories to eat so much. That's yeah, uh, yeah. That's that's the cutback. And uh, in that, they still get to be warm and still get to bask a little bit, but it's definitely not super cakey hot, you know. And um, they uh, are fed a whole lot less, just so that way their yeah their bodies aren't doing whatever. Um, yeah, man, that's where that's what I've had to learn too, man. It's a it's a tough one because you have well, to. I, just, I, I strictly went to once a week feeding. I mean, I gave her one chick a week, and that was all she'd get. I I said, until you get this big, you're not getting more. And then she freaking cycled. (laughs) That's what we're waiting for now. Then she bred for 10 days straight. And now we're waiting for that period of time. Well, what's, what's weird, right? I had this very similar thing. I got this female super fat. I ended up, I I don't know what I'm really doing all the time. You know, (laughs) I'm just trying new things and stuff, new stuff happens. Like this last time with this, the actual peer pair of coli, right? Um, when the male broke through, I basically realized that she was so fat and, you know, he ripped off the tip of her tail. So I was kind of angry at the pair a little bit. So I stopped feeding them, right? And um, not not in, not in like, not, not, not that they're in trouble. It's just the female was so fat, they weren't going to breed. And so there wasn't <laughs> a necessity for me to keep feeding her. You know, right? And right. so I, I kind of just cut back. And for two weeks, I basically fed almost nothing. Where they got like fractions of food, maybe a a a a, a chick leg or something like that. You know? Yeah. Um. Or yeah, or something, or like part of a mouse. But man, I, once I stopped feeding her, she then I think utilized that fat that she had, and uh. I'm not sure if a bunch of follicles or what, but the male was so eager that he broke through just to mate with her for a few days, you know. So, man, it's a uh, it's crazy how how you mentioned that when you took when she was really big and then you took her back down. That's when all of a sudden she started so, to yeah, use those time of year. It's really weird. So I, I, that's 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 good. To I, I equate it to health. I really think that, like others, I kept feeding, thinking that these events were, she needs these calories, she needs these calories, because she's having these breeding events, and you can go too far. Obesity yeah. monitors, I mean, like you said, you saw it shorten a lizard's life. BT, my female, kind of going back to the other point, too, and kind of merging the points together, where we talk about what's real success, and basically should an animal that's 12 years old have cycled before. My female BT... She hadn't cycled one. She only cycled one time by the time she was ten years old. Oh man! And then this last year and a half, she has cycled five times. This last time being number six. That's when I put her in that four by four at the time. That's when I started this four by four cage for her. That's what, she was the first. Then the female before her blue that passed when she had fallen. I had a female that was gravid who fell, and her uh. stomach burst and all that. It was bad. Uh, and, but she was my called breakthrough moment with the four by fours, put BT into her old cage. BT all of a sudden after being 10 years old, starts laying eggs magically. 
And they said Athena, I put her in the same kind cage, cut her calories down. BT is a lot thinner than uh, Athena is. Breeds better. The Borneo females came in looking dead skinny. They bred great. You know, you had mentioned that before. Something I was going to get back to was this, this, sometimes the smaller cages for stuff. I'm thinking about doing that with uh, quite a few other animals is just. um, Don't put it on social media. I already. Yeah, I already have. I already have. We do things that are. uh, I mean, you. you, For one, man, there. I hope people that are listening to this, the young people, don't let Reddit or people on Facebook or Instagram and there's the they come in masses, right? They feel like they're doing the hobby or the animal favor by telling you that you need a bigger space or whatever, or, or what you're doing is you know wrong. Just stick with what you feel is working within your parameters. And if your animal is going to outgrow you, it's going to outgrow you and you'll know, you know, right. You know, and then, but uh, until then, you know, you're just going to work with what you got, have it set up how you have it, try to do your best. And, and really, you know, that's, that's all you got. Like there are like what Rob pointed out where these super shy monitors feel better in a, not a tiny cage, but it's just more, tighter than it is right. it's only a 38 inch to 40 inch lizard typically going yeah. in a four foot by four foot by four foot i mean that's a lot of square yeah. footage for that animal it looks small right it's actually the square cage it's more functional yeah than the longer cages yeah because it's just they, instead of running back and forth they can kind of run in a square circle they almost feel better too i, I always tell running. people the biggest key to my rudy cage is one of the first things i noticed was a platform halfway up their yeah. cage that covers half the depth basically so it blacks out the whole bottom of their cage. Yeah. It creates that yeah. safety, that dark feeling. That um, to create an eight foot long cage to black out the entire bottom of the cage and create that dark undergrowth where I believe Rudy Cools tend to hide. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So those are those are really good good ideas, especially for people with really shy animals. And you put them in a in a decked out big eight eight foot cage. Don't get me wrong; it's not that the cage is. It's just how open it is, and maybe how scared they are. You and know, you have to understand like, your thermal gradients. People don't understand the floors here in Ohio. Oh man, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I have like helped more than one person where I I've gone to their cage, and the first thing I saw was the best looking cage I've ever seen visually. That like you were talking about, cinder blocked into their basement. And then I go to a corner of their cage that is 50 degrees and they don't realize it because their basking is 130. Everything on the air feels great. Their thermostat that's sitting six feet in the air reads 90 degrees. You don't factor in the fact that you're fighting the ground. Yeah. It may not be as big of a problem in Southern California and some other places like Texas or Florida, but in Ohio, that is one of the, I have that problem here too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a problem. It's still a problem. Yeah. Like right now, my ground temp is around 55 under some of my cages. All my and every so stage done is on casters in the last two years. Yes. Everything off the ground. And this for anybody listening, um, if your cage is on the ground, find a way to get it off the ground. Okay. Yeah. And incubators, get them off the ground. If you have stuff incubating, do yourself a favor, get it off the ground. Um, I got to get mine off the ground. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. I'm going to keep my mouth quiet because that might have been the problem now that you said that out loud. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. got to get it off the ground. I'm really nice. digging these um, – talking about stuff off the ground. These uh, I'm, I use these U-line cages or U-line wood crates to make cages out of. 
They're 48 yeah. by 30 inches by 30 inches. And so, yeah, it's equivalent to like a, a five by two. But the thing I like so much about them is that you go into like uh, any Harbor Freight or, um, you know, hardware store and the those universal um, furniture dollies that come in the 30 inch long, they fit perfectly under that. So everything's flush. You throw two under there. They can hold three stacked cages high and still roll around on those. And not only to get things off the ground and put them on casters, but as you know, you, there comes a time where you need to move a cage and if it's sitting on the ground and it's full of dirt, good luck. Good luck. You're not yeah. going to move it. Well, that's, that's the problem. <laughs> right now I have an electrician who is making my entire outside building and house to code. Yeah. Oh boy. It's going to residential code as in, in the next month or so, like everything will be more or less as clean and fireproof as I can make it. Uh, having yeah. as a friend of mine, who's an electrician who I'm, I'm basically going to be paying out my ass probably for. And <laughs> he's putting plugs. He's putting enough plugs above every cage. He's putting everything on its own fuses for like this amount of wattage. He was talking in tongues as far as I'm concerned, but he's going to make yeah. it. Safe. Good. Man, I, got a, I had a lot of stuff that I got to get off the ground after, <laughs> after testing it out this winter time, I put a few cages on the floor um, just to help with my gradients in some of the shorter cages, right? I needed a colder bottom. Yeah. Um, and a couple of them, it worked, especially the ones that weren't really breeding. And I needed to keep the male. He was going to be in there on his vacation time, right? Yeah. And so the cage bottom is How 69, 60 degrees. Yeah, very, very chilly. And he goes there. He actually likes it. Um, and, I, you know, I just don't want to burn them out or – they say that you can overheat them and then basically kind of make them sterile. So I want to see if the 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 keeping him chiller would help out with fertility and stuff like that. I I, I allow them to be never to heard be that pretty, before. The, yeah, I get I get them uh, I get them to uh, it's what what they do with snakes and and uh, turtles and tortoises where they you know cool them down, basically regulate sperm and eggs, and when they warm them back up, it should basically get a lot of things into gear. Um, so might have to try. I just that. don't want to just don't overheat them. Um, I realize when my when my cool side is also eighty degrees, surface temperature and ambient. Um, my mangroves basically don't like that at all. So she'll no. reabsorb either. Yeah, and then um, yeah, man, it's 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 uh the floor the cooler floor space. I think it works in some aspect. Like if I yeah, it'll be really hot. And uh, it, it basically didn't have the option to cool the cage down. Setting it on the floor would help out by giving it that. Um, but, you know, I think in some of the cages where I needed to have like a heated nesting area, right? Or And it was a really big – it was just so much soil in there. Man, that ground is basically making me work so much harder. Mm-hmm. So that's where it both both of them – it works and it doesn't work at the same time sometimes. It just depends on your situation. See, to get that thermal gradient you were talking about, I can't keep my mangroves in the same room as my ruticolas. I have, a room, I have a room that basically is exclusively Indonesian species. It's ruticolas. It's got salvatore. And the only thing not Indo is the uh, caiman pair, the dwarf caiman pair in there. And my indicus group, I put in my basement on casters. 
because you had mentioned yeah. at the time that the, you they like 66 to 69. You'd show me these weather maps that you'd posted on Facebook. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to try this. I lowered my basking areas like the Salvadori to about 110. <clears throat> and I had an ambient from 66 anywhere up to about 80, 82 maybe. The ambient in that cage goes. The mangroves were so much more active now. And the one female, that's why I was sending you nest pictures, asking you questions. I have two females that I swear are twice as big as they were last week. And they I'm, do a lot better. They do a lot, a lot better. It did seem like yeah, I, a small changes really was a big deal. I've cooled down um, the so the tree monitors. I'm keeping a little cooler, and up there I have the uh, the Timors and the peacocks too. So up in that room, everything like it, like you said, it's set up for Indonesian stuff, except for the Kimberleys, which are locked on and rocking in there too. So it's confusing. I'm like, well, little bastards, they okay. might just live in the Indo room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so that's where they're at. But now I'm like, well, I wonder, you know, what else I threw up there just to try out, and um, I don't know. It, as you guys know, it's always something that you're messing with, you know? So, but I am trying the cooler thing. I did finally get what looks like a decent couple, uh, um, with the Timbers, right? You tried the Timbers. Yeah. 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 So definitely kept them cooler. Um, it's just and, not blistering hot. It's like, they have their like, okay. I, I don't want people to misunderstand when we say like, keep them like a leopard gecko or something like that. Okay. Um, you know, we want you to still, Give them a basking gradient and then a cooler option um, to go where it's basically 70-ish degrees or something like that. You know, um, maybe surface temperatures aren't 160 and 150, but they're like 125, 130, right? And so, um, yeah, it's just not as not as cranky and hot, you know. Mm-hmm. I, you mean, know, I, I really agree. You were talking about something else I'll put out there. You're talking about don't share stuff on uh, on Instagram about cage sizes, which I totally have done. And so I'm not afraid of it anymore, really. <laughs> Sometimes I I'm like, myself. I, got, <laughs> I got so much shit when I shared my recoil quarantine cage. Oh, man. I got messages from people saying how that's not big enough for a lizard that's five foot. I'm like, who the hell said it's five foot? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what I don't even have a salvatore. I have a male that is at best forty-seven inches. Yeah, that's my biggest one. The only reason I believe they get bigger than that is obesity. Right, overfed ones. I do not believe they should get that large. I don't have any females over forty-two inches, and those are those females are over a decade old. Yeah, you know they so, should. It takes a while. You, yeah, you hear some of the stuff, and then um, I think square cages are a great idea, but obviously, traditionally, we can't get square cages into houses unless you build them in the rooms because of door frame sizes, you know? But yeah. as far as a thermal gradient, you know, um, you can do a lot more with a square cage than you can with a six-foot cage, even though yeah. you might be giving the same floor space um, or actual, you know, area space in there or more with the square cage. I don't think people can wrap their heads around it because we're so conditioned to see these two foot by whatever cages, you know, um, and that's how mine are actually. Um, everything is basically works left to right rather than, um, I can do things, you know, cause with the four foot space or how, however deep it is in square wise. Right. Right. Um, 
you can you I can have a a a, a two foot bin and still have two more foot behind it to work with. Yeah. But let's say if I have my thirty inch deep cage because that's how basically deep your door is. Um, you know, I can only really have the nest bin and then there's a little bit of give space in between the nest bin and, and whatever. So I was, you know, it, it provides a hiding space right there, but it also makes things really tight to work in and out of. Yeah. Um, and that's where I find my problem now with, with, uh, sir, I wish all my cages were more square like, or, or yeah, I was just approaching it differently with the builds. You have to sometimes, but I guess, for those people out there that are looking for a new place, make sure you got a large sliding back door with good concrete that's not all messed up so you can actually roll stuff back there because you're going to go through the back door. Yeah, you're going to go back through the back door and then have an open floor space, okay, like the living room, family room, with a room that has those double French doors that can both open up. That is your reptile room. That's the one you want, okay? Just throwing that out there. And that's why all my garages are insulated. And have all kinds of heaters in them. Yeah. Oh, and if you're doing this in an apartment, measure your elevator doors too, okay? And how much you can stack in there. Just, just yeah. throwing that and out make there. Make sure you don't have weight <laughs> restrictions. No 150 right. pounds on the second floor. <laughs> uh, all of this is very true stuff. I'm not. I'm not saying I did that or didn't do that, but right. I'm, uh, I can tell you right now, it's always good to know your landlady. Yes, it is. Start now. Butter up now. Make her okay? your friend right now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, that's funny stuff. That is so true, though, because I got, um, you know, my basically my landlord at the uh, warehouse. I get along with him really well. But um, I think for a while he didn't know what I was doing at first. You know, I told him I was going to keep some reptiles over there. And at, at the beginning, it was just some. And he was fine with that, but I think he was like, "What is this? What is this guy doing over there?" You know, it's always in and out of there. And uh, finally, I just he came in one day, and so all plausible uh, deniability has gone out the window for him. If anything happens, <laughs> but you know, we've kept on good terms and just, um, hey, this is what I'm doing. But for those people out there, don't try to be upfront as much as possible with this stuff. Look for a good place. If you're looking for, you know, this, I don't know why this is coming up right now, but we're talking about all these fun things. If you want to keep a big water monitor as a pet, think about it. That house. Yeah. Yeah. Think about it beforehand. And they, they uh, go in a garage or a basement. Trust me. Yes. Yeah. You'll be the landlord walks in and you'll be a big dude. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I had Joe, a buddy. Who, and if we're on the topic of big reptiles, don't over glorify how dangerous your damn animal is to your neighbors. I've had a snake come <laughs> yeah. in twice because someone said I had alligators when I had dwarf came in that were larger than they thought they got. I have uh, five and six foot trigs. Yeah. Um, and then I had come for Komodo dragons over oh, my gosh. seven foot Nile monitor. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not cool to make them sound scary. Unfortunately, you know, you can sound cool to your friends, but they're just, it's not doing us any favors anymore. Right. I mean, that's absolutely true. A lot more favors when the cops took pictures with my animals with me than it did when they came in fear of what the heck I had. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, if if you got a big mouth, just shut it out there. Don't cause any drama for anybody. (laughs) 
it's, it just caused a lot of problems. It seems like that recently yeah. I've seen so much grandizing of how dangerous or how don't do this, but I'm doing this. Yeah, there has been some of that. Now, now I might be guilty of that a little bit because um, on camera or just behind closed doors, it's different. True. Yeah. True. Are but you making a like, public event? No, no public events. No, no. Nothing like that. You know, um, and I don't have a lot of people over. It's not like I'm having kids walk through and do a petting zoo party at my place or anything like that. You know, um, but here talking to you guys, just talking about like uh, the actual truths of some things, what kind of bite could something deliver if you're not, you know, paying attention uh, can get a little iffy, can get a little scary sometimes if you're just working alone, you know. So uh, maybe yeah. I mentioned that too much, but I'm not trying to scare anybody away. I'm just trying to give a healthy respect for the animal. You know. <laughs> Trust me, they they give you a reason to give you a healthy respect for them. They'll teach you. Yeah, why. they do. If you don't, they'll teach you why. That's all you have to say. <laughs> uh where did we get lost to? We this is how the uh, this is cage, how the podcast goes. Cage sizes, it seemed like changing things oh, up. We nest boxes, temp, temperature gradients. We were doing a little bit of all of it. Yeah, so I didn't even get to the point I was I was actually making was um with these uh with a group of these Timor monitors. I'm trying different things, right? With the peacocks and Timors. So um where some people say, you know, I, I have some that are in a smaller cage than people would ever like to see. I'm fine with it, but I, I got all their their needs met. And the ones that are in the smaller cage with less furniture, like one dedicated hide and just making sure I, I meet the gradients, um, I can now interact with those animals more frequently and a lot better than the rest of them because they are forced to interact with me. So for this species that likes to stay hidden and will sometimes stay hidden so much that they will skip meals, I'll go in there and see like just as many roaches or pinks as I decided to give them are still there when I've taken those things away, it's actually gotten them into um, different habits uh, where I can monitor more their intake of things. Otherwise they'll just stay hidden. And um, the other thing I've done with them, cause I'm experimenting in all kinds of directions just to see what works so I can get these things going. And uh, the one that just gave me eggs. And I do think there's another gravid female in there is a group of uh, 3.7, or I'm sorry, 3.6 in the, um, all together. And so they're in like a colony type of setup. Now, uh, of course, I'm watching these animals and um, keeping very close tabs on them and eyes on them. And these were, these were mitch, mixed match. Um, the only, so there's one group that I got that I kind of had locality info on uh, for the Timors. Those I've kept differently and set up differently the rest of them um that i've pieced together back in what was that like 2019 2020 trying to get timors when yeah. they stopped showing up i i've put a lot of those together the only ones that aren't are this older pair where they're kind of crazy i think the female had some some uh, mbd issues the male is blind as a bat and uh they're kind of a she she has given infertile clutches before but they're a scary pair to work with. <laughs> and I just going off of what we were just talking, they're scary because the male's reaction to everything. Cause he is blind is it's food. So if a shadow goes over him, he lunges at it and he's trying to eat it. 
Now, that feels like today. We, we tried king snake breeding for my kids today. They have a bunch of king oh, snakes. My girl for my kids. Man, we yeah. have one female. Anything that touches her is food. And that was yeah. just a heart attack every time they got near each other. <laughs> you would think under monitors and all that, I'd have these, like, think the cojones of steel. And I'm like flinching over these little king snakes. Yeah. Each other. Yeah, I have a few like that that get to me, man. They just one thing you point out that I wanted to point out that we're about Rudy Colas is a big point I have. I genuinely believe that we have a too much of a uniform thought on what Rudy Colas looked like. I have three mm-hmm. distinct looks that I believe I believe two are simply localities differences, and I believe one is a completely different subspecies. Um, I was talking to a guy about this the other day. So I have one pair that I always call my blue pair. It has this male name Hank who is this turquoise blue in person yeah. he's more blue in person. I've never seen a Rudy Coles documented with this kind of color. And I genuinely don't believe it's a morph. I think it's a locality or like I said, a subspecies difference, his head shape um, guy calls it moose. Like there it's real short, but real broad. It has a real big rounded snout versus Rudy Coles typically have these long thick snouts. Mm-hmm localities both have these long thick snouts and like i said his pattern is completely different it's almost completely washed out besides the back banding going to his tail and the same with the female she has a smaller head than the other females that i have and i have yeah. these i believe are pure localities um i have the blue pair together quote unquote have the more stereotypical look where you might say the drab brown coloration, very little pattern, very long faces, hard to sex because both have bulges. Hmm. Um, and that's across the board for that look usually. And then the Borneo pair, and I said I have three of those, have banding on their back. If yeah. that are very clear, they keep into adulthood. My male and female are as big as any pair I have that have the full pattern. Yeah. You know, it's funny you bring that up. I've had limited interaction with Rudicolis in person. And I've seen like the uh, the kind of that brown tinge. They're darker animals, but they got that brown or olive undertone to them. Yeah. Um, but a guy I knew back in the day um, was working on him. He was breeding Dumerals for a long time. And um, he was trying his hand on, on Rudy's. I don't know if he ever did breed them. We kind of fell out of touch. Um, but the Rudy's he had were like jet black Rudy's. And so that's, my, that's my pair with that male that's drab, the female that's drab. My male's yeah. real big and he's real dark. I mean, he almost looks black in some pictures. Yeah. So that pair is. Yeah. So, and I don't know if that, he was raising them up. So they were about sub adults the last time I saw them. Um, so it might've been a color change that happens afterwards. I don't know if they're darker when they're younger for whatever locale he had or wherever he got them. But I remember them being just jet black. And I didn't think about it till you brought it up. And then, of course, I've seen the other pictures like uh, John has posted and some other guys where you'll see like a line of like a turquoise or a green yeah. in there. And I'm like, what the heck is that? You know, that's awesome. Um, so I agree. There's probably so many different animals or like you even mentioned where people would say, oh, there's these five foot animals, you know maybe at some point they were getting them off of somewhere that did have five foot animals or like we've seen, I mean, even with, uh, it seems like with Argus lately, um, 
you know, we, I used to see these huge, like six foot Argus. And lately, a lot of the adult Argus I've seen don't get that big anymore. So I don't know if they're coming in from somewhere different or what's going on. Do you think the feeding but... changed? Because I genuinely think people are more conscious mm. about feeding sometimes. Because I can tell you, you water monitor people, you hear every Joe Blow tell you how fat someone's monitor is now, even though they all post fat monitors. <laughs> yeah. I genuinely think that an like, example is Athena who put on the weight and then grew to almost 40 inches. She was breeding her best between 27 and 34 inches at yeah. about three ish years old, give or take. And that's where I believe they should be. I hear these outrageous stories of three-year-old animals raised from babies that are almost five foot long and their girth is almost twice my animals. Yeah. And I'm like, that's, there's no way that animal's going to live 12 years, 20 years, whatever it might be. Yeah, you know, there. I think there's a lot of truth to that, too. Um, I had a big male come in. Everyone says, oh, you just didn't get an import one. My male Grim came in 48 inches long. He hasn't grown an inch since. He was bone thin, like this big around. He was a given animal. That's why his name Grim. I would call him mm-hmm. the Grim Reaper. He should be dead. He was given to me for the price of the box. And then he got <laughs> stuck in Memphis in the middle of winter for four days when he was already oh, on death. He was already on death's door because how skinny he was. And now he's a full-size breeder. He's about as big as any male I have. And But he's the biggest one I ever saw imported. And even he was a bone. I've yeah. never seen an imported Rudy of that size. And anyone who's trying to show me pictures, they're this big around. They're the size right. of a Salvatore. And yeah. I just don't think that's what they're supposed to get to. And if they do, it should be at like 15 years old. Yeah. And you might be right about that. It might be the the feeding regimen they that people kind of that old school where you keep them uh, as you said they like 140 degrees where people yeah. are like oh it's a tropical tree monitor I'm going to give it 100 degrees and you know food all the time um, possibly something along those lines. Uh, well, the, the old saying "feed the breed." I hate that saying. Yeah, I think there are so many I, more factors than feeding to breeding. Yeah. Take it from somebody who thought he had Rudy Coolis down now a dozen times and failed every time. <laughs> I think it it can be true. And then it, as soon as it's true, it can fall out of being true. With the very same pair of monitors, you know, yeah. you can get them there, especially as young ones. You know, you feed them up, you feed them up, you feed them up, and they're go, 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 go. And then at year three, especially you see this a lot with um, dwarf monitors, not so much Ackies, but some people I think do it with Ackies too. And that's why you'll get these um, you'll get these adults on you know morph market or fauna that are oh four year old animal adult animals proven breeders oh then you know tell me the history on them and apparently they were proven breeders at one point but now they've changed hands because someone kept them for six months trying to get rich quick and rich quick and then um, flipped them again and so they come with this story you know we've all heard this this story that we've all seen this monitor. And um, the like you were saying, Rob, the the thing that changed is that the animal changed. Um, they they were meant to breed like that for this amount of time, and now they're a more mature animal, and that's that's changed. Um, yeah, the feeding has changed a lot for my adults. Yeah, getting getting into that sub adult, and they're frisky. They're breeding, but they're you know. They're not really prime until they're like three to five years old, you know? Yeah. And and even then, again, it shouldn't be a size thing. I said Athena was only 27 27 inches long. 
most people would tell you a two foot Rudy is not an adult. Right. She laid a beautiful clutch. That's when she was kind of just randomly dropping in places. I had no males at the time. And she was cycling and laying male free and 27 inches long. And every time I keep seeing these giant females, like, why aren't they breeding anymore? Or why do you have a one-off clutch? And like I said, three years later, maybe you got another one. Yeah. I, I, that's not success to me. Success would be this year I got five clutches from BT. Next year I get five clutches again, but I hatched four of them or two of them. Hatch a few of them. <clears throat> and then, again, repeat that process. Can I do it with another female? I'm hoping this Borneo does it. I'm hoping I get Athena turned back on. Right. It's not yes, uh, if, you're, if you're trying to get her turned back on, try to do uh, what I, I've been doing with the, with the mango. If not, the temperature doesn't change. The whole feeding does. Mm-hmm. And it's like basically that's what, that's what I did with the feeding when she turned back on. That's the one that I stopped feeding that cycled this last time. We're hoping she drops okay. eggs and then this, it's all begun again. If that's the case, she's getting off food once a week feeding again. She's getting trimmed down until she is this big around. Yeah. yeah. Take, take mine down. I don't know about this, eggs. Uh, she's my favorite animal. I want her to be here 20 years. I'll get her recycling again and all that. My, my weather's been so crazy. It's like uh, it's been warm and then and now it's really cold again. So it's been tricking some of my animals too, and then it's been raining. Oh man! So they they respond a lot to that to the rain and the yeah the, the stuff here. Oh, I, I love this time of year. The barometers everywhere. <laughs> it the does. Monitors have no idea what they're doing right now. <laughs> yeah, my, I think mine, there's everywhere. you ask me yeah. every single Indo monitor I have right now that is of age is either cycling or breeding right now. I can't be proven otherwise until it's done. I hope some of these Indo monitors do some more breeding for me. We'll see. I'm hoping uh, some of the tree monitors are. Yeah, I mean, you should uh, apply whatever you've been doing with the timbers and all, all the other aspects as well, man. I yeah. guarantee you, there there are along those lines. They're they're a lot simpler than how you do Ackies and Kimberleys. You know, um, there's just I, I don't I don't know how I don't know how it works. You know, they're just. A, <laughs> They're just different monitors, man. They're yeah, just in a different part of the world. Um, the weather is a bit different. It's their island, their island endemic instead of being like, you know, inland monitors or stuff like that, where you know the weather is a little bit more dense and just yeah, just way different. So that's yeah. how I see, yeah, that's how I see it with uh with with the island stuff a lot cooler. Yeah, and I'm definitely going to. I've, I've had to utilize um, 24-7 light bulbs just because of the temperature. But now that I have them set up in a certain way, um, giving them their regular like nighttime drops or turning off the, the lights at night, um, now that we've gone into this next season and I have the room set up to actually support nighttime drops and not get too cold. Um, and... So I'm, I'm going to try some of those things too. Cause I do think they, I have a suspicion that they're going to benefit from it a lot. Um, so uh, anyways, I could, the funny thing is I'm going to listen back to some of these episodes we do where we talk about this stuff, probably all of us. And we'll, you know, if we get to a hundred episodes, we'll listen back and be like, what the heck was I thinking back then? Why did I think that was a good idea? Four foot box. What was I thinking? <laughs> Spoiler alert, guys. We don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> no, I told Kai ahead of time. 
do not call me a pro. I am still figuring these stupid things out. I'm just a lucky enough guy that I've gotten close a few times. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, we've had 12 clutches here, five or six with males here. And hopefully next time, seventh is the miracle, you know. Probably this yeah. last one miracle. The one egg had a dent in it. I've never had this happen in monitors, only snakes. The dent completely undented. Okay. Rudy, I told you, I think might actually make it from this last clutch. It's not the round plump one that she laid. That one already got fungus on it. It's the one that I thought, I was like, I might throw this one. I'm going to put it in maybe. It's the whole reason you do that. All the way up. And I'm like, please, just please. He's the male is that turquoise blue male. All I want is some of these babies. (laughs) I think, you know what? No no matter, uh, I won't get in. Well, I'll just say it because I've already touched on it. At some point, if you're a monitor keeper and you've had that kind of experience, no matter what your belief system is, I think everybody's at least set up that plea, like looked up at the sky and said, please, just this once, what are, whether you believe in a God or not, it's like, exactly. Come on. I don't have to believe. Now. I'll still kiss his ass. <laughs> <laughs> if you're up there and you let this happen, you know, you start making the deals. <laughs> I will go to church. All year, I swear. You will see yeah. Rob the reborn Christian if I get all Rudy Cole's clutches this year. Oh, you heard it here first, people. Yes. Go ahead and, and Rudy uh, Cole's going back to Christianity here. Yeah, and, and troll Rob for a while if this happens. <laughs> yeah, man, I gotta uh, I'm like myself too. I gotta get get some of these eggs in line. I'm just hoping uh gotta get right with some more 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 fertility out of some of these some of these uh, mixed clutches too, because uh, I'm I'm cool with hatching some of the mutts as well, because they're really pretty, and I need to make some seventy five percenters too. So, the but the peers, I guess we're in line for that too now. So, um, I was gonna say, it sounds I, like you got all the pieces. Yeah, it yeah. was way out of the picture before, but um, because of the male was so aggressive, but now with this bigger female in his cage, hopefully I can get some uh, some change out of him. Um, Cause he's not; they're not attacking each other like, like how they have done to other animals. So uh, I might, if they, if all goes good and they do some, at least a normal cage. Keep I'll remove that other female that I, I'm not really expecting. I wasn't expecting it to go well at all. I was expecting there's there there to be some, you know, uh, some fight, some blood, and maybe, you know one of them get bit up really bad where I obviously couldn't house them. And so I'd send her back, but it doesn't look like that's going that way. So man, it's, uh, it's, it's yeah, yeah. For you, my man. The one that I didn't think was going to work is actually looking. How's, how's that one baby you know, cool? Yeah, I do. Oh man. That thing is in a jar <clears throat> and <in> alcohol. <laughs> Damn. Such a um, life. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't do too well afterwards. It was kind of uh I'm sorry. Kind of kinked at the kinked at the tail base and then had like a kink in the shoulder. Um uh, it, it kind of pushed around for a couple of weeks, but um it it ate a bunch of egg pieces and but eventually one morning I just uh it was struggling so much I just put it in the freezer and then I put it in the jar. Um I got quite a few from my very first first time doing stuff. Like I got jars of my embryo, like I had a very first egg, right? And yeah. this is from 
years ago now. Um, and the egg died maybe two to three months into incubation. And so the embryo was, you know, only like this big. And it's, it's all pink and everything like that. So I saved that in a little jar. I got a, the first cross. Um, one of those died out of the four that hatched. And I put that in a jar. I've got some partho stuff that hatched and died, went in a jar. I've had quite a few shit that hatched and died. Yeah, um, yes. and that's, that's all a part of the game to learning. So, um, yeah. You know, yeah, man. my um, – but like you said, that, that points to learning. So with the last um, go at – I've killed so many Timor and Peacock eggs. Um, but yeah. with the last go at the the peacocks, um, the three that the three eggs that I had, they went full term, but then they died in the egg, fully formed, but all kinds of kinks and everything in there. And so what I was doing is I was incubating them at like 86, 87 degrees along with everything else. So now, wow. yeah, learning off of that and learning, okay, well, people are doing them lower. Now they're at like 82.5 degrees right behind me at the house they get spoiled from everybody else um yeah I should, I should do my the kai islands a little cooler i'm probably gonna go back to like 82 because mm-hmm. right now i'm i'm at 85 so i'm okay. gonna I, I do all my endo stuff 84 that's what i did the symbols and the percentus at yeah I, I wanna, 84 i did my i did my i did like jody and stuff like that at like 82 and then 84 because i just felt like 210 days was so long but um yeah. but you know it's uh at one at 84 it's uh 170 days i think right now i'm at 85.5 so i'm probably gonna take it take it down to like 84 degrees and then i'll take it down to like 83 i'm gonna work around that temperature with the coli um just to have healthier bigger babies and the time frame shouldn't be too off. You know, it shouldn't make it like another 30 days. Yeah. Because four or five degrees will definitely make it a whole, a whole oh, yeah. lot longer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, and I was debating that same thing as cold temps aren't what killed the Rudy Col- the, for the Rudy eggs that I had the veins in. Because those got down to 78 once and survived that night. They did just fine. I said they were damn near bulletproof, I felt like. Because all eight survived to drop the one night to 78 degrees when we had a uh, power outage here. And then incubator kicks back on, goes back to 84, didn't lose a single one. When it nice. spiked up towards like 88, 90, and we did that, I think it might have been the floor times now that you said that the one time, they got all the moisture. Whatever that spike or drop was that caused the saturation, it killed them. Yeah. And I think if I would have just kept them a little bit lower, it might have even stabilized the temperatures a little bit because here it is cooler here. might be easier to keep it yeah. at 82 than it is to keep it at 84. And it might be more consistent. Absolutely. I kind of think along the same lines with things, even if it takes a little longer, drop them I down. Cause, yeah. Cause if at 86, I'm getting, I was getting like kinks in fully formed animals and say they do hatch at 83 degrees. Okay. Am I just flirting with what's enough? And if I go into like 80 degrees, is it even more stable? Uh, will it cause healthier hatchlings, even though they come out you know, defect free, perfect. Um, it, and it cost me another 30 days to incubate them. Are they overall, you know, better, healthier animals? Um, I feel like it. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, especially what's, what's some stuff, you know, I mean, okay, man, 
Um, and then this is not a diss to the guys that are incubating really high, but there are, you know, Python breeders that have stuff at like 89 degrees, 88 degrees. I think uh, even 90 degrees. 87 this next clutch. Yes. <laughs> to me, that's, that's, uh, what it is, is I just, um, those doing those and doing some like really specific lizards, it's it's uh, very very different, you know. Oh, um, they are nice. going with, yeah, going with what I learned with like chameleons and stuff like that, and helping people, or helping this person named Susan James when I was younger. I was basically her water boy, you know, carrying jugs and jugs of water as she sprayed, and then dumped pans as they dropped into the as the water and poop drops into the the pan at the bottom, you know, um, but. But, but I was listening to what she'd say about her incubating eggs. And Parsonai and Ustalets or most chameleons incubate for several months, some of them well into a year, a year longer than a year to incubate. So, you know, um, the, the, those eggs are basically going through quite a few different seasons, mm -hmm. a, whole, a, whole, a, a whole cycle of seasons, you know. And so I've seen people start eggs off like 77, 78 degrees and then warm up slowly. Um, that's what I did with Jody at first. It was 81 degrees at first. And then we ended up at 80, 84, 84.5 um, when, when it was about that time to hatch. Um, yeah, man. So... The, some of these lizards is just I think you can they can be done at eighty degrees. They just yeah. take a little. Yeah. Well, I know I Jim Heck for a long time there was doing uh, Salvatore at eighty one, and they yeah. were okay. two hundred and ten days or something like that. Two hundred five. He was average. Yeah, two hundred and ten days is that <laughs> that uh that eighty one more. Then you have other guys. I know John A for a little bit was doing eighty six with his coming eye. So yeah. I mean, it depends on you have two different. I mean, in my opinion, two brilliant minds in reptile keeping, which is right sometimes. See, 86 for me has worked tremendously good with all the yeah, Australian stuff. 86 scares the heck out of me. Yeah. Yeah, 86 scares me with uh, with whatever. I'm I'm actually now thinking about it to going going down once uh once yeah, I'm say I'm about to drop down 83. You're good for this conversation. I'm about to press the button down. Yeah, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna press them down. Oh, man, but it's not a huge difference from 85 to 83, so. Well, no, but like you be... said, it could be the difference. We're talking about good, better, best. It could be the difference between yeah, a yeah. no deformity versus one kink. Right. Exactly. Because we, because we sped up the process 20 days. Right. Right. I, I think right. there's so – uh, I, I will probably – I'm at 86 right now in the other incubator at the warehouse. I might drop it down um, – 85 and see see how we do with everything but i really do, you should do 80 are your timbers now that you just got are they at 86 no they're at they're at, they're right behind me at the house so they're in a totally different setup uh they're at 82.5 okay so that's good so that's what we're trying to do right now right yeah it's basically almost four to five degrees less yeah so that's 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 a that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a significant Right, that's a that's a significant amount when we're talking incubating wise, right? Right. Um, yeah. So, man, that's cool, man. Keep me updated, or obviously I'll know yeah. for everybody else. Oh man, you <laughs> will know. I I will have all the. I won't be able to help myself. They'll have little top hats on and mustaches and everything if I hatch those suckers out. 
Facebook would be so sick of Rudy Colas if I am that lucky. Right? And you should, as you should. Yeah, man. I guess for you, Rob, you wouldn't be able to really find out truly what the temperatures should be until you, you hatch them. But uh, so I, that guy, uh, that guy from the, I think he's from the UK or whatever. Yeah. Those two guys that hatched out the the Rudies. Have you? Did you talk to them a bunch? I talked. They, to uh, them, I talked to them a little bit behind the scenes, and they it was they sound like eighty five degrees they hatched them at, but they didn't have a super high uh, hatch rate. They only got like two or three of them to hatch out of like the five or six that they had gotten. And then most, I can't remember if two had died, but at least one had passed away early on. Very similar problems to the ones you're talking about. And I know that John King bred them. And when he hatched them, he did 28 Celsius. So like 84.5 or something like that it is. And he mm-hmm. said he had, he said he had 100% hatch rates. Unfortunately, he lost both of his females. Hey. Man. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it it's like that, happened to, that happened to the UK guy too. It seems like people are having a hard time getting more than one clutch. Like that's the only thing yeah, I have been it. blessed about is my females BT. She almost ate me yesterday. I didn't expect her. <laughs> to be, I didn't expect her to be so ready. Stuck my hand in the cage. She came from that. What I try to do is uh, what I try to do with uh, with the whole not killing them. I guess right. Yeah, I know right. Um, it's no like it, it, I think it's very easy to do because when an animal, let's say they're 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 breeding right, and then you just keep on piling them on to do more and more, and they'll do what Alan said. They'll kind of go for a clutch or two, but then they'll have held on to so much weight in reserves that they just there was no break and there was no, I don't know, I, I don't even know what it is actually. It's just more so of they're just. Um, carrying on so much weight and it's like they have no chance to i have a kimberly that does this it just hangs on to a ton of weight i have to slimmer down so much and that it gets her back and so for for mine i have a i have females that are going right now and the only way i can keep them healthy is to not pound so much right after they've laid and i basically still feed them but instead of feeding mice and chicks and eggs like I would have before to kind of, you know, maybe jumpstart the next or, or more even give back what she lost. Right. Yeah. I now just put a lot of calcium on like shrimp and grasshoppers and fish and I'll feed just the, just the leg and the head, not so much the yolky part, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just so things like that where it's getting my females to continually go. I've had, you know, I've had almost, seven eight clutches out of one girl this year that are mostly infertile um but um i don't know it's it's crazy how i was been, been able to do it and and it's not even it's more surprising than anything because i never thought that this girl would just just lay and i've been learning so much with her giving her more supporting her more having in-floor cage nesting rather than having a nest bin. I mean, it's just, I can see it now too happening and right in front of me because, you know, you, you're, you just look down instead of having to pop open the lid and disturb them and stuff like that. And so I kind of get to visualize or see, see things as they should happen, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I'm seeing things dig. I can tell that all the soils dig dug up and then, um, you know, this going through the whole process, but man, once they lay, they're they're so eager to eat, 
and I just don't feed them a ton. Yeah, I, I usually go like two days and then like with BT now, she's going to coast. She only gets fed maybe one chick, maybe every three days or so at most. I use it, maybe the head, the legs. I, I give her mm-hmm. full body occasionally, but my, not my Rudy's are big enough to eat a whole chick at once. So I usually try to give the bodies to like the Salvadori or the Cayman or something else. And I'll give the other parts to the Rudy Coles. I don't think they have that high fat of a diet in the wild anyways. Kind of like the Indicus. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're killing a ton of rodents every day. Right. No. <laughs> I think they stuff. are, and, and Rudy Coles at least, I think they are hunting rotten logs. They're hunting, like I said, that first 15 feet of trees. They're scavenging leaf litter. Second burrows. They're getting a lot of, I think, birds, a lot of roaches, super worms. They love worms. Super worms, yeah. night crawlers. Man, Rudy's love them. I, none of my Rudy's when they come from wild caught won't take big grub like worms. Interesting. And, and so I always give them big grub like worms when they first coming in. I always give them birds, rodents maybe once a month or so, or if they're cycling. That's usually what I do with my uh, cycling females. The only time they're getting rodents is typically if I'm trying to up the calcium density and a little bit of fat, like BT who won't eat for that last ten days. Sometimes you're trying to get something a little bit heavier for that one meal that they're going to take right interesting stuff though this i'm i i'm kind of mentioned earlier um i'm having some issues with my my tree monitors just being picky they like roaches um which they'll eat but trying to get them to really take anything else they'll take some pinks every once in a while but like super worms I've tried them in a dish and set them in there, uh, both on the floor and then at a different uh, height. And you know what? Maybe I'll try them again because I have to be fair that, okay, maybe there's still that adjustment period. We're not even out of the first six months yet. So, uh, or we're about there. So maybe I should try that again. But um, yeah, definitely trying to get them into different food items would be ideal and a lot helpful, a lot more helpful to me because. Man, they're decimating my roach colonies. <laughs> I got to keep those numbers up, you know. And uh, I got to give a shout out to my help, Steve Rick. Man, he's given me uh-huh. thousands of roaches for nothing, basically. He has helped so many of my ornatus projects and so many things like that. Yeah, let me tell you, I I know what you mean by they tear through colonies. Yeah, I'm like, ooh, we got to slow down here, you guys. I might, I might, you know, it's. It's hard with them because I'm learning how their bodies work. They're such skinny bodies. I cannot feed, honestly, the the Timors and like Ackies. I to me the Timor peacocks are like an uh, Indonesian Aki. They can actually hide in a hole and not feed for a month, and you wouldn't know the difference. You know, um, now, is it green trees that you have, by the way? Uh, greens, blacks, and blues. Okay, so I, I didn't see I didn't see this in the blues, but I also was never successful in breeding them. Female greens will nest guard and they will kill the male. Get if the moment you notice her nesting, like and you know she locked, get him out. Okay. I had my female kill two different males. Never had a problem cohabbing any day besides that one week of cycling. One week before, one week after. Okay. And then I heard um I had a the another I can't remember who it was mentioned it the other day, something similar they had noticed. I think Cody might have said it too, maybe even that he had noticed it in his percent as possibly. 
yeah, yeah there's a lot of nest guarding with the most monitor females i i see I, I haven't noticed it too much in salvatore but in rudy colas i've seen it and in percentage no that's good for me to know because unfortunately like my hat so male sand monitors will just go hide in a tube and they'll just stay in there for two weeks until usually the female's done um <laughs> Ackies and my Tristus, um, they will, the males will actually help in the nest guarding. It's, it's kind of fun to watch. Um, and Kimberly's so far seem to like not care, do their own thing. Um, but as far as the Indonesian stuff, of course the Timors, I don't know what the heck they do because they just stay hidden. And that's why I do need a camera in there. Um, Wise so I'm camera. working on them. Yeah. Working on that. Um, then I can actually see what the heck is going on and be a part of their world. <laughs> um, Too much information is the real thing, let me tell you. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I swear, people always tell you that monitors only lock for that one week that they're cycling. That is the biggest lie I've ever heard. On <laughs> I can show you a Javan Biv who still hasn't laid, who bred for three weeks straight during a giant swell. Yeah. And then swelled again two weeks later. And I've watched this, and many of my females, Kyle will probably attest to this. I post way too much lizard porn. And yeah. <laughs> usually camera shots of my stuff that's breeding for three weeks straight. That yeah. doesn't make any sense compared to what I was taught early on. They always said they're not yeah. going to be receptive. They're not going to do full locks. <clears throat> if, they do have, if they do, it'll be a one-off. No, it's five days straight. And then all of a sudden they skip two days and they go seven more days. And I'm supposed yeah. to time it after that. Up. And after, and after, I've, after which time and when do you pull the mail? Right. I've had I've had a couple that got it on one or two tries, and um, that was like at the very end of ovulating or whatever. Um, and then I've had some that are just breed and breed and breed for days. And yeah, um, some of what it is is some of them I learned that I just need to leave the mail in there until she's she's about to lay. Yeah, and she gives Basically up when I'm she at. gives up food. Yeah, when she gives up on food and yes, yeah. she starts to dig a lot, that's the that's the time. Yeah. I feel I feel that's bad for my males. I usually wait till I see the female pick at him a little bit lately. Because I, I still, like I said, I don't know what the hell I'm doing with all, all these time frames. <laughs> I'm just trying my best with what's right in front of me, man. And I think this is the what it is is I have like a like a mental checklist, right? And where depending on where I'm at on the checklist is obviously the next step. Then I'll think about think about that. So. Yeah, and so it's like if if they're now uh, to the point of digging a bunch, but it's only been about ten days after they've stopped locking, then we know that this is the the the, the mock nesting. This yeah. is where she's just digging, testing, finding stuff. She she definitely looks like she's ready to lay, but not yet. Um, it, she's probably still eating too. It's a hard yeah, one. It's I um, take this last time with the job and Biv to Celebensis pairing. I pulled that yeah. mail too early. Well, especially when you're you're excited about like a new pairing or some new animals, that's mm -hmm. when you're like you're ready to jump in there and dig up the cage. You dig up all her test digs and everything, and then you might just complicate the situation. Don't attack another me that factor way. in there. What's yeah. <laughs> Don't attack me that way. Yeah. I got so much shit for pulling these eggs last time. Someone thought I had pre-pulled them. I'm like, I did not take that female off the nest. <laughs> I've done it. I've done it. So that's why I'm, I'm calling myself out here, you know, when oh. you're really excited. And then when you have something that, you know, you're 
you're more in tune with. It's like, like Kai was saying, okay, I wait for refusal of food. And then I don't even start digging until I see a, a skinny, you know, like the skin folds yeah. on the side of that girl and she's looking for yeah. food. I'm like, Oh, okay. Guess you're done. And then I'll go digging for it. But um, that's basically where yeah. I'm at at this point. I, I, it's bad advice to give someone who doesn't know what they're looking at, but I tend to, at this point, leave them in longer than I would probably a year ago because I missed yeah. so many clutches this last year because of mistiming, because I'm sure I knew better. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> let me tell you, being a little overconfident can kick you in the ass a few times. Oh man. I'm already doing it with some of these dwarf monitors. Like you guys were saying, I've seen locks. So like that 18 to 20 day period, I'm like, okay, time to go dig up the cage, you know? And of course I'm looking at the female. I'm like, yeah, you haven't, it doesn't look like you've laid yet, but I know better. So I'm going to go ahead and dig up your cage. Cause this is what everybody else did last year. And then I get in there and she's looking at me like, what are the hell, what the hell are you doing in my cage? Just get out of here. I got this, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. and such is the game. <laughs> All of these adjustments. So for everybody listening, Lead, learn to read your animals. And this is coming from people that haven't learned that lesson quite yet. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're don't trust your gut. This is the only yeah. thing. Don't trust yeah. your gut. You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, um, it's counting, counting the time frame now is also not as easy because it can be from when they started or when they stopped. So that right. can leave you a 10 to 15 day gap. And when, you know, so let's say if you started counting the days when they started locking, you could be adding on way too many days. And then and then you're in a worry because typically mostly after 30 days, you should be worrying about a female lane, mm -hmm. you know, because um, then it's they've been carrying too long. And we already know that the time frame is roughly about 30 days. But is it 30 days beginning of the whole cycle or 30 days once right. she's been gotten gravid mm -hmm. so it can be uh that's a i don't even know the answer yeah, to that i'm not there <laughs> ask me i don't even know the answer to that so that's a that's a question that will hang out until some uh someone that's really really academically smart and understands these guys in and out and anatomically right we, we will know i can't wait to get my ultrasound machine this year let me tell you my tax return first thing ultrasound my girlfriend said i'm sick no get the bigger probe get yeah. the get the one with at least a few inches don't get the don't get the pen one no i was getting i was told to get the flat topped one by dylan he said it would go better for uh big lizards like ours yeah i ended up getting the small one and i can't see shit <laughs> Yeah, Hi, are you dying? I'm so tired of guessing at this point, and I have two female Rudy Colas that will happily let me pick them up and go like this. So I yeah, will do that all day. It's so cold here. It's it's so cold here. Oh, it's man. uh, it's it says that it's freaking fifty degrees right now. It's thirty it's degrees outside right now here. Oh, yeah, I'm not complaining. I think today is like 65 for me. It, it, went, it went from 20 in the morning to that we had a high of 60, and then it's back down to 30 right now. Okay, I lied. I'm at 54. 54. Yeah, man, it's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty chilly today. I've had to change stuff up. and Yeah, I see uh, you're man. in a sweatshirt there, Kai. And dying. Yeah, your, your allergies killing you? Mm, a little bit. The allergies, there's a crazy wind going on, so that – carries over all that stuff oh man and then at the same time it's cold so yeah the weather is not really ideal 
Pray it's for Kai, I, everybody. It's somewhat ideal for the monitors if it feels raining, but not so ideal for me. <laughs> for us with allergies and asthma, this sucks. Yeah. 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 That's why yeah, I keep this I, water jug right here. I don't want to clear my throat every 30 seconds, and I'm already like half a gallon in. Yeah, I'm all, I drink a bunch of water and my tea and all that stuff too. And the tea, tea and actually really to, helps. When you, and then when you talk, yeah. it's like you're, you slightly dry your throat as you're talking, you know? Oh, I got this. Uh, here we go on another tangent. But for me, it's a uh, flow days <laughs> and then that um, uh, it's this essential oil stuff. It's like this allergy blend to something you know and it it seems to help so i'm going with it and then like you said a lot of water and uh that's what yeah yeah keeps me alive and then, oh, <laughs> there's a lot i gotta do after this conversation man me too to, uh, a lot, to lot of about my this one and a lot i'm gonna do after i gotta lift up i gotta lift cages that now have in-floor soil so that's gonna be a bitch. Why are you doing that? Oh man! Um, oh, you gotta yeah, take them off the ground. I, I gotta take them off the ground because um, when it's when it's warm in that room, and it's I mean when it's hot in that room during the warmer weather, it's it's relentless. So I gotta have I gotta have them a little bit above off the, off the ground a little bit. Now I will say, way, go ahead and finish, and then I'll I'll make a suggestion. But go ahead and finish that. No, I basically gotta. Take out the nest bins, take out the soil, and then lift these things up. I have to prepare myself for that physically and mentally. <laughs> <laughs> so the um, I'm all about right now these U-line crates for cages, right? Because um, it, now it's only quarter-inch plywood. So if you got a big enough lizard that can do some damage to that, use something else, obviously, right? Um, but if you can, if what you're keeping, you can get by with that. Um, coat it with something on the inside. And, uh, I've even thought about using another quarter inch of, um, like FRP would do a little bit, um, on the inside of that, give it a little more rigidity and scratch resistance. But, uh, the main thing that I would want to suggest was that a lot of these, they come in like, um, pretty much you can get them in like a four foot square, right? It's on basically a built in pallet jack. So even if you were to stack two on top of each other, it would, uh, that that pallet area would allow for airflow in between the cages, so you're not getting that uh, heat affecting the upper cage as much, unless it's just hot in the room, the air's not circulating. But even if it's not on wheels, if you go get a $300 um, hand pallet jack, you can lift your own cages, even if they're stacked too high, if it's appropriately rated uh pallet jack on these things. And that way you can just move it on. It's like its own set of wheels. You can scoop up under it, move it out, do what you need to, put it back wherever you want it. So this is kind of the forward thinking stuff I'm I'm planning on getting. I'm, I'm in the market for a pallet jack. <laughs> Not a bad investment. I, I said yeah. I went I went straight to casters and I'm trying to custom build basically stackable cages. Uh, yeah. That's just been a process of itself to learn. Chris Foley came over and he was shocked. He goes, wow, there's like four different cage designs on one wall. I'm like, yeah, you could tell. First was the worst. And you kind of go up yeah. the ladder here. This is why yeah. I learned sliding glass. That one still has non-proper sliding glass. You know, it's yeah. whatever held the temperature at the time, basically. And then now everything's going over to PVC and casters. 
And if it's not, you know it's an old cage in my house, basically. <laughs> Anything wood, it's not treated because I got that stuff in here immediately after my divorce when I got my house back. And it and was throw like it together, I have, huh? I have one week to move a bunch of animals at that point. Because I was only yeah, you my, were like <laughs> my animals back during my divorce. And I mean, you guys guy, I'm pretty quick about getting stuff back usually. So I bought probably 15 animals, had them all in like temporary cages, and then I had to transport yep. them in the same month. To the new house. And people I've are like, oh, I don't of understand the struggle with this one lizard and this one cage I have to build. You weren't right. You know what's crazy? I'm I sorry. got these these like half falling apart melamine cages, right? And it's the one inch thick melamine, and it's totally busting apart in some areas. It's got damage to it. And I want to get rid of these things so bad. They're so heavy. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm I having- just got rid of mine, man. Well, I got rid of my last melamine cage. The problem with it is I can count on these cages throughout the year, you know, and the animals that I have in them, they're so locked on. Everything works that I'm, I'm almost, I'm almost just going to go. It sounds like the first cage that got my, my, uh, Rudy Cole's breeding. Every single female I have besides the Borneo laid their first clutch in this atrocity of a cage. (laughs) Yeah. It, It was a, Five by it was a five by three by two oh, that dude. I had then stacked a four by two by two on top of and butt cut basically a platform into it. And that's where I learned that the Rudy Cools liked to go down to that dark area. Yeah. So I put them in this cage. It looks terrible. It's, it's, <laughs> it's untreated, it's rotting, and my females are the only females dropping eggs are in that cage. Yeah, I don't, I, don't <laughs> want to I don't want to change. I it. What's that? Uh, uh, I got my first dump of eggs uh, in in a very similar cage too. Uh, when I had like super decked out cage at one point, right? I was making some pretty decent stuff with my friend, right? And yeah, they were actually pretty nice cages. But I had to move, and I'm I put two two foot mangroves in like a three by two, right? And it was just so bare. Just a couple logs for them to hide, and then uh, not even a nest bin. It, she ended up laying the eggs in the cork tube, and so uh, yeah, that, that was the very first time I had eggs dump, and you know my cage was just so bad. It was literally well, the inside was perfect. Like the thermal gradient was beautiful. Yeah, the outside was so visually unappealing at the time. I was so happy when I figured out that four by four by four, the uh, white one that got them cycling. Cause that is the cage that replaced the cage in my room. And it looks so much prettier than that ugly ass OSB and whatever else that cage was made of. These are the cages that you can only slide one door cause it's bowed in the middle, even though you've oh, no, got $200 glass windows because both cages have these Home Depot giant windows. Oh, okay. So yeah. Top and bottom. It just looked terrible. It was very functional. I just yeah. hated it. It stuck to the ground. It was so rotted. To the floor by the time I moved it, I was like, this yeah. is where my thermal gradient's coming from. The whole floor is heated by the rotting cage. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you got a living termite mound in there keeping the tips oh, up. Perfectly bioactive <laughs> to its environment. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's good stuff. All right. Well, yeah. we are about at the two two hour mark, guys. Um, so I guess we should wrap it up here. But man, I know there's more to talk about. So Rob, we we gotta have you on again here later this year. Available. All right, yeah, man. Hopefully, uh, 
hopefully you'll uh, you know get at least one nice pearly white. Yeah. I was gonna say, hopefully we have a little podcast in September where I can show off a little Rudy Colas from this clutch. Oh, that'd be yeah, awesome. Man. That's about. Yeah, and then anything, point. anything you gotta like right now, right to catch up to the next season, bro. Like if you wanna lean the hell out of everything until after summertime, from now until then. That's kind yeah. of the Just idea. Quick, yeah. Once all these back, are done, I'm leaning everything down. When it's so hot, they're not really gonna be breeding in summertime. Um, but man, come when it's raining and stuff like that, and you've prepped, you've prepped them. I, I guarantee you get some better, better clutches or more, more stuff, especially after the break, because you've had them going quite a bit for the last. Uh, oh, they, year, uh, right? and they! I tried to turn her off the time that I talked about thinning her down when I didn't pair her. She laid forty-five days after her last clutch, laid. So she had cycled within fifteen days of her last clutch at that point, and she hadn't been yeah. fed. I had fed her one chick a week after her first after after laying. That's what I was yeah. saying. I tried turning her off twice now, and those are when I get my best clutches. And I'm like, whatever, I'm still going to do it. You know what? It's obviously good for you. It obviously does not hurt you. And yeah. I mean, I've had it. Twelve years old and still cycling this regularly. I've planned vacations around when I plan to cool things down. They shouldn't be doing anything. And then, of course, I'm on the phone with like a trusted friend. I'm like, hey, so I'm going to need you to dig up that eight by four cage. <laughs> my, my no big deal. We'll probably have to pull rock python eggs without me. Possibly yeah. a Salvador clutch and possibly yeah. a pretty clutch next week. Because oh, I'll be man. travel all of March and all of June typically. And those are when I typically get my eggs. March and June are when I typically get my snakes. You, uh, my monitors usually are getting their first clutch of the year going or may sometimes second. And it's always when I'm traveling. And then I come home and I usually had to pull eggs late this year. I have, I have a guy that's a friend of mine. I pay. He's the guy who brings all the roaches over and all that. Uh-huh. Thank God for him because man, I can call him on a dime and say, I was looking at a camera. I need you to dig this cage out incoherently, even though I don't know if she actually laid or not. Right. And oh, he'll yeah. Do it. Yeah. It's always good to have, and I, <laughs> man, that's a messed up thing to say. I shouldn't even, we should. Oh, no, started. good help is impossible to find, but I found it. Right. Good. If you can find that good help, I'm looking for someone that knows reptiles that I can trust. That's like financially stable, but isn't necessarily married with kids. <laughs> that, that <laughs> if is you're single and lonely, come talk to me. <laughs> that is Steve, man. He's perfect. <laughs> he, he, man, he loves my animals. I don't have to hear about a girlfriend yelling at him because he don't care. <laughs> and he's got Always his own job. He's got relying on my pay. So, I, I, you know, it's whatever hours he needs. He just loves to work here. And I love it. It makes things easier. Right. The other one. The, kind of Steve in California. I might offend some people here, but uh, the other people that I, that I might look for is like a younger Mormon guy that isn't married. That's, you know, your religion ties you to doing good work. <laughs> Working hard is part of your belief. <laughs> Come fill out an application. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go there. We're, we're, I'm gonna stay out of that. Uh, I just leave that alone. Uh, all right. Um, so we'll we'll cut it off there. Uh, Rob, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Fox Reptile underscore on Instagram. Uh, Fox Reptiles on Facebook. I'm going to be starting a YouTube channel soon. Stay tuned. I'm just planning on whenever I actually get stuff hatching. I yeah. want to have, I, I want to have real content. I don't want to be one of those blustering guys who claims to be a professional when all I'm getting is a bunch of infertile eggs. 
<laughs> it's true. You know how many of those dumbasses there are on the online? I'm a pro. I've had this animal for five years. Look at all my infertiles and not a single bit of success. Here's, here's the truth. So I, I put it out there uh, a couple weeks ago on a post. I was like, hey, who wants to maybe see some YouTube videos, right? And so um, I took a, a small video of a, just feeding the Kimberly. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm actually going to go intentionally try to record a first video that maybe I can post of me digging up a Kimberly clutch, right? Yeah. There was no clutch. <laughs> I dug up this whole cage. Live video. <laughs> I've had that happen a couple times. I kept the camera, and then I dug up, and there was no egg. Right. Okay. Do you know how many times I've posted on Facebook? I think you saw this, Kai. There was the one guy who yelled at me because I was posting Rudy Cole's locks but not eggs. Heaven forbid I hadn't figured out the species nobody else was breeding. Right. Right. I was like, you know what? uh, Too much information. I'm not posting this stuff anymore. Guess yourselves, guys. Right. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. Uh, we should stop there. I'll get myself. Yeah, in I'm trouble sorry. You're, I can go forever. I'm sorry. No, it's true though. But um, all right. Really appreciate it. It's been all our right, pleasure. Man. Um, Kai, real quick, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on uh, Facebook at Kai Fan. That's where I'm most responsive. You can also find me at uh, Big Underscore Lizard One O Three on Instagram. Um, most of those places I'm most responsive. Um, but you can also check out my YouTube page called Mangrove Mecca. Um, I'm, I post there once in a blue moon. I I honestly post a lot. I post a lot on my Facebook. So yeah, if you want to find content or information or get a hold of me, uh, message me through messenger and you man, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram at origins underscore reptile. And you can find me at uh, on Facebook at Origins Reptile, okay? And for the guys, I, I'm trying to be so nice about this. Um, Leave them alone. Leave them alone. Don't 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 try to friend me under my name, uh, Alan Stevens. I'm I try so hard to keep for my my family sanity, my wife's sanity, everything. Uh, keep those separate, okay? If I've met you in person, there's usually a chance that you know, okay, well, you know. You, you know me, you've met me or my kids. Okay, I can understand. But it's it's no offense to anybody. I'm just trying very hard in this world where everybody's so connected to keep a little bit of privacy. That's all. Um, so you can find me in those places. And again, we are brought to you by the Morelia Python Radio Network, guys. So please, if you are interested in reptiles, whether it's monitors or anything else, um, go ahead and give them a, a like and a follow. You can see them on uh, both Facebook and uh, Instagram uh, under Morelia Python Radio. Um, also, you can go onto their website, MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Everything you need to know is there, all the links to not only uh, where to follow them, but to all the podcasts. Uh, you can even get info if there's specific questions you have at info at MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Uh, uh, you can follow the podcast on any major platform. Um, you know, I, I seems like I follow half the other podcasts on the Apple podcast or half on Spotify. Um, and then you can also watch or listen to their stuff on YouTube. Um, there's a bunch of great guys on there. Sometimes they do some live, um, interactive shows that you can jump on and just see what's going on, see who these people are in person. Uh, and thank you again to Eric Burt doing all the great work just to help get this 
information out there. You know, we're we're kind of came out of the world of uh, the reptile magazine you get once a month or whenever it was. Um, and these books you'd have to pick up where now we can actually interact and talk. And this is yeah, the message. Yeah. And I can respond a little later or something like that. <laughs> right. And Eric's you don't have to wait, uh, weeks. Yeah. And Eric's put in a lot of hard work to bring these different people together, hosts for the shows. Um, somehow he allowed us into that. Thank you very much, Eric. And, um, you know, just getting good people out there to, to help facilitate information. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, other than that, guys, till next time. Thank you for listening. Thank you guys. Have a good one. Thanks, Rob. Thank you guys.